the free for all roundtable round two on round two today deb hutton is here former advisor to two ontario premiers uh michelle morrow is a music teacher and a people's voice award winner and jamal myers is a toronto city councillor all right so let's actually start with um, municipal affairs and that would be the latest poll which suggests that not only is olivia chow solidifying her lead but the runner-up would be josh matlow so jamal myers i appreciate you have to make nice with pretty well all candidates because one of them is going to be the mayor you have to collaborate with. But what do you make of this? I mean, it's definitely good news for Josh Matlow and for Olivia Chow. Uh, it's very early. And at this stage in the game, it's all about name recognition. Just do people know the name? Uh, so it's really about getting your name out there. None of the candidates so far have been able to brand themselves in the way that previous mayors have. So, for example, Doug uh, Rob Ford had the gravy train. Tory had Smart Track. Miller had the broom. Like nothing, no, no image or logo or slogan comes to mind when you think of any of those candidates. So really, at this point, it's just: Do I know the name? Do I recognize the name? And obviously, Olivia Chow has been around Toronto politics for quite some time. Has a pretty uh, well-established career and track record. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that at this point she is in the lead. Michelle Morrow, as you would well know, being addicted to talk radio and having appeared on it, talk radio tends to cant to the political right. So I'm quite used to people describing Olivia Chow and Josh Matlow as some sort of existential threat to this city. Yet, lo and behold, the two of them are one and two. Yeah, it's really interesting. I would have thought uh, that Mark Saunders would be one or two, again, simply because of name recognition. Uh, but I really I agree with Jamal. I feel like it's really early to tell. And it might be a case of someone just like pulling a name out of their head that they this is the person they've thought of first, perhaps not the person they want to vote for. There's not a real big way to distinguish a lot of the top candidates. So I'm really excited for them to sort of make the, make their policies a little bit better known. And I, 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 I'm struggling with Olivia Chow simply because it's hard to find that balance between someone who has the experience, but someone who's not out of touch. And I worry because she's been out of politics for so long that she will be out of touch. Deb Hutton, worth noting, 32% of voters say they haven't made up their minds, which isn't surprising. There's plenty of runway. Seven weeks today, John. So we will talk about this many times between now and then. Uh, of course, Livia Chow is in first place. The woman first ran for office almost 40 years ago, 4-0. Yes, she's been out for a decade, but before that, she was a counselor. She was a federal MP. She was a school board trustee. She ran for mayor before. I mean, she's a career politician. No wonder we know her name. That doesn't mean she's going to win. We've seen this movie before with her. And I will just say, full disclosure, as I try to say every time I talk about municipal politics, I am supporting Anna Bailao very proudly. But if you, as a Torontonian, have a ton of disposable income that you don't mind handing over to City Hall, then yes, you should continue to support Olivia Chow, not just for name recognition, but because already, with seven weeks to go, she has introduced a $300 million tax increase. So enjoy it. I personally don't have that disposable income, nor am I prepared to hand over any more to City Hall. Okay, one last thought and one more question for you, Deb Hutton, because you did say that you're, you know, you're working and rooting for Anna Bailao. Her campaign mm -hmm. does not seem to be reaching any kind of traction yet. 
So I would obviously argue against that. I think she uh, first brought the housing initiative at Ontario Place versus uh, the Science Centre to the fore. It's continuing to be an issue in this campaign. 5,000 housing units was her proposal. The Premier actually accepted that after a few weeks. I think she was uh, the first one out, and now everybody says, hey, why don't we have internet? Why don't we have Wi-Fi on the TTC in 2023? Uh, I know she's doing extremely well on uh, endorsement. Uh, maybe my friend here, the councillor, might think about that himself, but a number of his colleagues have lined up with Anna, which is not the case with other candidates. So I, I would argue that she has actually quite a bit of traction. Okay, Jamal, are you aligned with any of the existing candidates? Uh, no, I'm playing nice with everyone at this point. Probably uh, a good strategy. I, yeah. <laughs> but I do, I do echo that concern that her campaign doesn't seem to be generating the type of excitement that, you know, I see in Matt Lowe's campaign, I see in Chow's campaign. Uh, but I do, you know, acknowledge that she does maybe have strength on the ground because she has these endorsements from politicians, unions, and that will really help her ground game when it comes to the home stretch. Okay, Michelle Morrow, let's jump to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know what a sports fan you are. Is it time to go casket shopping for this year's team? Ah, I still have hope. I feel like it, uh, Leafs fans vacillate between like, we're going to win it all and we suck. <laughs> there seems to be like no between. And so I, I, it's it's very unlikely they will win tonight. I fully acknowledge that. But you know what? Four teams have done it. Stranger things have happened. And so I'm going to watch with an open mind and I'm going to cheer. And at least uh, it sounds really like I feel bad saying it, but at least we made it past the first round. Like that's a step in the right direction. 2004 was a long time ago. So I'm not quite ready to throw in the towel yet. Okay. But there does seem to be some disconnect between how good the players are and how bad the team is. And as I'm not, I'm not a hockey coach, so I don't know how to fix that, but I wish someone would. Okay. And for the record, the next game is Wednesday night in Florida. Dead. Oh my gosh. See, I should know that. Wednesday night. Thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're fresh on the heels of last night's disappointment. So we need to breathe a little. Uh, Deb Hutton, any thoughts? Well, I'm a little bit with Michelle, and I heard Matt Gurney say that uh, on round one this morning, too, that once they got past the first round of of playoffs, it sort of feels like we've had a victory. So it's not that I don't care, and it's not like uh, the, the morbid uh, scenario you painted that we should be going by a coffin is necessarily the case. Uh, but I think I won't feel as badly if they do lose, whether it's Wednesday or subsequent games, uh, just because we passed round one. All right. Jamal Myers, that strikes me as a bit sort of like what mom says after a little league game. I mean, okay, big deal. You got to the second phase, but could you close the deal? Yeah, you know, I'm still an optimist. And, you know, Michelle said, you know, four teams have done this in NHL history. One of those was actually the Maple Leafs uh, versus Detroit Red Wings in the 1942 Stanley Cup Finals that they won. So there is historical precedent for this, and I'm always an optimist, so I think there's still a chance. 1942, super. Um, the NDP, the leader of the NDP was on with us a little while ago, Myrit Stiles, and amongst other things, she was calling for cancellation of this spa at Ontario Place. And Deb Hutton, if memory serves, you're kind of passionate about the renovation of Ontario Place. Well, I... 
Listen, a couple of things. First of all, I'm, I actually like, as I referenced earlier, I like the notion if we're going to build housing and we've got a big plot of land, uh, near the science center, then let's build housing there. It makes sense with two transit lines coming open. Secondly, science center is tired. It needs an update regardless of where it sits. So this is a perfect opportunity to meld the two. Uh, I think what's missing here, it's good politics for the NDP fully endorsed that they're doing that. It makes a lot of sense for them. But I think what's missing from the Ford government is information. I don't like revisiting, 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 revisiting decisions, particularly around Ontario Place. So I think we should get on with whatever proposal. But people should know if we're putting $650 million of taxpayer money into this, what exactly it's for and what the deal entails. Jamal Myers, I keep thinking of uh, Tracy Chapman. We got to make a decision, leave tonight or live and die this way. We got to do something. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of this plan. I, I think this is a terrible plan. I think, the, I think the government is taking so many hits for something that most people really don't want. And you know, this whole notion that the Science Center has to be on the waterfront. You know, I'm a suburban counselor. And we really need to get out of this mindset that everything that's interesting or everything that makes Toronto unique has to be downtown. You know, most people in Toronto live in the inner suburbs, in the inner boroughs. So why can't we have nice things and nice attractions there? So if you want, if you know, if you think the Ontario Science Centre is old or tired, why not rebuild it when it's in its current uh, location? You know, those communities that, you know, are surrounding the science and are really proud to have the science center there. It's very rare to have something like that in those locations. So I really think that the Ford government is taking on a lot of, like, unnecessary baggage and ill will over this move. And I, I hope they rethink it. Yeah, Michelle Morrow, I'm with Deb Hutton. I wish the government would tell us what this spa is going to be, because I think we all think of people sitting around with uh, cucumbers on their eyes and maybe it's going to be Great Wolf Lodge. Yeah, it's, it was really strange reading the outline because uh, it said it had family parks and water slides, and that's not really conducive with like the calm and serenity that you think of with uh, with a spa. I, I I feel like we get a new plan every two weeks, and I'm having a hard time keeping up with it. Um, and I think the quote you just said, John, "Live tonight or die, live and die, leave tonight or live and die this way," is the way Toronto has been. We live and die because we cannot make a decision. And I just wish someone would come up with a proposal and just go with it. Uh, Deb Hutton, in your household, were you up bright and early on Saturday morning watching the king being crowned? Bright and early, but with a little PVR twist. Okay. So not exactly on the nose. But yes, we did watch it. Um, I I heard you earlier, John, talk about how archaic it seemed and so out of touch with most of us. I think they, I know they streamlined the process, believe it or not, this time out. But I think that the, whoever advises the Royals missed a huge opportunity to really make this somewhat new and interesting and, and take it out of the dark ages. It's funny. I turned on the TV later in the day at one point and saw these two women with big hats. Yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, geez, we're still going on. It was the Kentucky Derby. Also <laughs> something archaic, I would argue. I got confused. Confused because they kind of all look the same. If Robert Turner were here, he'd offer an observation on the newly crowned queen in the Kentucky Derby, but let's keep moving. Uh, Michelle Morrow, it is ancient and it's full of tradition, but I also found myself looking at King Charles in his gold tunic, waving his magic sticks in the air, and I thought, this is ridiculous. 
I did like the spinning plates picture that someone posted. Um, but I I am a sucker for tradition. I loved it. I love the pop and circumstance. Um, my husband, I, I say I did not get up early. I PVR'd it. My husband and I watched some of it last night, actually. And the music, knowing that they how they found the musicians and like the the extent to which they tried to in, involve many different choirs to become the coronation choir, I loved it. I love seeing it and I was saying to Rory last night, we were really lucky, I think, because we will probably see two coronations within our lifetime, and I kind of like that. Yeah, well, someone's got to die for that, though, but uh, Jamal Myers... Well, did, did Charles you... is 70. Yes, 74, actually, but uh, who am I to talk about age? Uh, Jamal, last word on this one? Uh, no, I did not watch it, and I'm with, I think, most Canadians where I think it's time to seriously reevaluate the, our ties to the monarchy. I had a lot of respect for Queen Elizabeth, Uh I'm kind of indifferent when it comes to Prince uh, King Charles. Sorry. Okay. Well, we got to call it there because we're more or less out of racetrack. Not enough time to sink our teeth into anything else. So Jamal Myers, Deb Hutton, and Michelle Morrow, my thanks to you. Thanks to everybody for listening. Joe Cristiano for working behind the scenes and Nick Marano for pushing all the right buttons. Keep it right here for the finest in talk radio. Jerry Agar is up next and amongst other science he's going to dig into today. Apparently Dan Riskin is going to tell us exactly what the quantity of water you should be putting into a glass of whiskey is. Some people would say none. Uh, I know my dad, of course, he drank crap whiskey, but he would uh, pour in probably equal amounts of water, which I think is frankly punishable. It's uh, just coming up to the news at nine. So let's talk again tomorrow morning. Vive le Canada! Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.